This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. This is Red Panda Report Episode 7, Imitation Panda. Join me as I discuss the thrilling Red Panda Adventures number 7, Red Panda Dead or Alive, featuring villainous vengeance, simpering socialites, and a hypnotized hero. Red Panda Adventures number 7 was published. It's actually, I get. I don't know why I thought it was called Red Panda Dead or Alive, but it's just Dead or Alive. Anyway, uh, it was published April 1st, 2006, written and directed by Greg Taylor, and clearly this is the seventh episode of Red Panda. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I will share uh, the copy for this, which comes from DecoderingTheater.com, your source for adventure, mystery, and comedy. Someone is on a spree of high-profile robberies throughout the city. Someone wearing a very familiar bright red mask. Can it be true? Has the city's champion turned traitor to the cause of law and order? Can even Kit Baxter, the flying squirrel, save her friend and mentor once the call has gone out? Red Panda, dead or alive? So, anyway. Uh, first off, I was a little weird about the fact that this Red Panda clearly has a gang. He clearly uses a Tommy gun. And yet, people believe he is the real Red Panda. I suppose the real Red Panda has operated in such secrecy, in such shadow and myth that and rumor, that people don't really know who he is, what he's like, or what he's capable of. Which, I guess, the secrecy and the anonymity of the way Red Panda operates is kind of a double-edged sword being used against him, which is pretty interesting. Um, let's see, next thing is, uh, so, <laughs> towards the end of the episode, or right at the end, O'Malley said to Red Panda, when he realized that he was innocent of being the criminal Red Panda, with the Red Panda gang, he said something along the lines of, Someday you'll slip up, Red Panda, and I'll be there to catch you. Doesn't that make it sound like O'Malley wants Red Panda to be a bad guy? Wants him to be a criminal, specifically, so that he'll be justified in capturing and you know, catching and prosecuting him. So, like, that, that'd be like going up to any random guy and saying, someday you'll slip up and I'll arrest you for your crimes. Like, well, why? Why would you say that? And I don't know if that's, uh, cops are dumb or what that is, but it just rang really odd in my ears. So, yeah. No me gusto. No me gusto. Anyway, uh, I like the red, the fake red panda shtick. I think it's really cool. Um, uh, it's just a really neat, really fun idea. I mean, it's not totally unique. It's not something that's never been done. Like, I believe there's a fake shadow in the shadow at some point. And, you know, there's Metal Sonic and, uh, whatever. You know, Black Suit Spider-Man or, I don't know, whatever. Um, and I mean, like, after, well, I don't know, was, was Venom running around looking just like Spider-Man at some point? I don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but just, you know, the imposter hero who's actually a villain is a cool fun idea and I like it in the context here I didn't expect it here I don't know why I suppose because I know all the crazy things red panda can do and this phony red panda didn't really do any of them uh, so it didn't occur to me that somebody would be able to come Im imitate him although Nick Diablos if he wanted to could impersonate red panda and that was a thought that just struck me right now so I don't know we'll see if that happens in the future Okay, so oh, there was a great line in this episode. I don't know if I'm going to do a best line feature from now on or not. I don't really intend to, but I could. Um, but this one was uh, Christopher Mott. 
uh, as the phony red panda. He was talking about, you know, he's seeing this and this and this, and this is a Tommy gun. And then he fires it. That was really cool. <laughs> really cool, very fun. Great, you know, villainous action to uh, keep things exciting and just, I don't know. It's just, it's ridiculous, but it's so cool. It's cool because it's dumb, I guess. And that's the way some things are. Okay, uh, Kit's dedication to Red Panda is really cool. I like, I liked it overall. Like, I mean, to me, it's clear that she has feelings for the big guy, and you know that's at least part of why she's sticking around. And I don't, she she's got a weird chip on her shoulder that I kind of don't like, where she's like, "Oh, you're trying to send me away. You want me to be safe. You think this is about me wanting my job? I value you too much to walk away because whatever. I knew the risk coming into this, and now I'm sticking with you no matter what." And him being noble and trying to send her away so that she's not in danger and him talking about his doubts. Like, you know, he's obviously a very capable man who's been able to accomplish a lot, yet he is imperfect. Uh, one, of his, one of his imperfections, one of his flaws, I guess. Uh, maybe it's just the self-doubt. I don't think it's a self-doubt. I think it's beyond that. You know, I, I think there's more to it than that, I should say. Uh, but that he doesn't know that he made the right decision in getting Kit to help him. I mean, he'd be dead if he didn't have her around to help him at this point, but I guess maybe he's thinking better him dead alone and having never met her, never ruined her life than having her with him and then have her life threatened and ruined. Um, so I like that. I think that's cool. I think it's noble. I think he's being a real man about it. And, uh, you know, she claps back with her, her stuff and, uh, you know, your mileage may vary on it. Some people are going to think it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. It is noble and heroic as she wants to put herself on the line for him. And it shows how deep their connection is. And that's really cool. So I'm not complaining about that. Uh, and then Red Panda's secret identity being the real mask is a neat idea. Uh, I like that he has given his all to being Red Panda. That's a neat spin on things. Uh, I don't know if specifically, I, I guess Batman kind of falls into that, uh, that sort of, that same sort of territory where he really is Batman and Bruce Wayne is just a facade. And, uh, I mean, I like that, okay. I can't think of where that's real. The only place I can think of uh, in, or the only thing I can think of from Batman, because I'm not like a Batman comic book reader, really. Um, I tried to, it didn't work out. We, we went separate ways. Um, we had different visions. So uh, anyway, um, was in Batman Beyond, he at one point gets, I think it's in Batman Beyond. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Batman Beyond specifically. Bruce ends up getting thrown into a mental facility and uh, at the end of it, he's saved because he thinks he's going crazy or people around him think he's going crazy. So they put him like under conservatorship or whatever, right? Because he's an old man and he's, he's still tied. No, he's not tied to Wayne Enterprises. He's sort of tied to it like socially, but I don't think he has any actual power in the company. He just can, he has like a, uh, like a what is senior statesman, is that how they call it? Anyway, whatever. He has clout, but he doesn't have actual power, right? Um, he has no like controlling interests, I believe. But anyway. Um, maybe he does some doesn't matter that's not the point anyway the point is that in his head the voice that sounds just like him I think it sounds just like him is calling him Bruce and saying Bruce this Bruce that whatever and Bruce is confident in his sanity the whole time and he ends up telling Terry his Batman in training from Batman Beyond if you're not familiar with that series great series just check it out uh, that that's not what he calls himself in his head in his subconscious he's not Bruce Wayne he's Batman and uh, there's a comedic line in there that Terry gives. He says, hey, that's my name. And he says, you know, tell that to my subconscious. And uh, it's very cool. So uh, I, I guess that was my Kevin Conroy impersonation. I've never really tried to do one. But if it worked, it worked. And if it didn't, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, so I thought that was a cool aspect of the story. 
I thought it was odd that Kid, uh, like, broke the rule of telling Peepers, or Peeper, about her static shoes. Like, if you're not supposed to tell the bad guys about your powers, but whatever. Uh, not a big deal. Just kind of funny. Especially she seems to be a stickler about stuff like that. Uh, as far as gadgets are concerned, uh, Tom Tomorrow used some sort of disguise gizmo to appear to be the Red Panda's alter ego, which is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, he's from the future, so they can do anything, right? And then uh, Tom Tomorrow has rocket boots. Red Panda and Flying Squirrel of Static Shoes, Tom Tomorrow's got rocket boots. It all works out. It's all on the feet, I guess. Um, so, moving on from there. Uh, villains, not much to say. Golden Claw is the true villain. She's behind the Red Panda gang. She's orchestrating it all from prison. Apparently, she still has control of money and assets. Uh, well, by assets, I mean criminals, people, to have uh, do her will. And through that, through the combination of those two things, money and people, which is all you really need, I guess, she was able to pull off this, this caper, I guess you would say. And uh, that's pretty cool. That makes her even more formidable. And uh, that's it's kind of fun of this person who doesn't have any powers, who's just a great criminal mastermind, can give Red Panda such trouble, especially because he doesn't have any powers either. So I guess in that way, they're kind of equally matched, aren't they? I'd never really thought about that before. Because I think of him as a superhero, some gangster doesn't make sense to me. Kind of like, and this is the last tangent I do, I hope, for the episode. Uh, there's a guy from Arrow, from the Arrow TV show, Brick. Big guy, almost bald, real short hair if not bald. He's a tough guy. He's real strong. As far as I know, he's not a metahuman. They just call him Brick because he's a tough guy. And somehow, uh, Stephen Amell, which is his character's <laughs> Oliver Queen, is not able to defeat this guy. And nobody else is. It gets even worse with the dragon guy uh, a couple seasons later. Like the last season, last season or second to last season of Arrow. This guy's ridiculously hard to kill. And somehow he's able to overcome everybody, even though he's just a normal buff Mexican guy. Like, you know, la gente is you know, muy fuerte, but like not that strong, man. That's crazy. Um, so anyway, bug the heck out of me. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I have a couple of lore points to talk about, and then I'm going to close out the episode. So technically, the Red Panda does have a gang, but the public and police don't know about that. I complained about this whole gang thing throwing away or giving away that Red Panda is not the guy um, doing the crimes. But... Yeah, it's there. You'll see it later. In the books, especially when we get to the books, it'll be there in uh, in a much more pronounced way, uh, which is similar to The Shadow. The Shadow in his books, he uses his agents all the time. You hear about them a lot in the radio show. It's just Margot Lane, but then again, the radio, radio Shadow and the uh, book Shadow are pretty different characters. Okay, uh, next is uh, Tom Tomorrow is a man from the future. For, I mean, from the future! And, uh, he seems to be stuck in the past, that is, the Red Panda's present, and he's the only person we know of who knows who Red Panda is. And I say that because uh, there was that guy who died, was it Peter? Yeah, Peter. Peter, the guy who was behind Jackrabbit, he had, you know, Red Panda pulled off his mask, revealed him his identity to him, then that guy died. And then, um, you know, you can assume the people who train Red Panda, but we haven't met any of them, know who Red Panda is. And... Um, yeah, so it's Kit and Tom tomorrow. But then by the end of the episode, Tom forgets because of the post-hypnotic suggestion that Red Panda gives him, which is hilarious. Uh, another thing, the Justice Union has been brought up at least one other time. Besides this, it was when uh, Red Panda was telling Kit not to quit and not to give up on herself. He said, if, if you don't deserve to be a superhero, then none of the Justice Union people do either. Um, and that was what... Death Dance at Midnight. It was in episode six. Uh, so just last episode. And uh, anyway, they're sort of like an analog to the Justice League. And they have a, a roster that changes over time because from when they're mentioned and when they're first encountered to when they're like dealt with more heavily later in later seasons of Red Panda, like years have passed. Maybe a decade, if, if not less than that. So 
uh, kind of interesting. Um, and then last thing, uh, Red Panda doesn't allow any other mystery men or superheroes to work in Toronto. I guess except Tom Tomorrow. I don't know why he can't stop Tom Tomorrow. Why he doesn't really bother with him. Because the guy just like walks into his lair and kind of bugs him. But then, I don't know. After that, he kind of sticks around. Um, I think he deals with him at least once more. Maybe he just gets involved in stuff later down the line that I won't spoil for you. But that's interesting. It, it's funny uh, what a lone wolf he is. Red Panda, that is. But that'll get talked about more in later seasons. So I'm not going to belabor it right now. But... I mean, this was a fun episode. Um, we have these socialites. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to deliver on my promise. So we got villainous vengeance, simpering socialites, and one other thing. Um, oh, hypnotized hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the socialites, they suck, man. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too political, but Taylor's Canadian, so I'm assuming that means he hates poor... Uh, not poor people. He loves poor people, and he hates rich people. And, uh, anyway, man, you know, they say never meet your heroes. Maybe you shouldn't follow people on Twitter who you like as creatives because when their politics come out it bugs you um and i'm not saying he's ever said anything specifically communist but he did uh do something that i was very disappointed when he was talking about regular citizens well never mind i'm not going to say that i'm not going to cut it out i'm not going to edit it because i'm just not going to do that but i'm also not going to uh finish that thought because it doesn't matter it's irrelevant to the show and i will move on because i can tolerate people having different opinions to some extent uh, even though I believe that certain political ideologies, quite opposite mine, are ultimately destructive and deleterious to society as a whole, and will cause the breakdown of it, but I'm not gonna um, stop that by bad-mouthing people in my podcast. So I'm just gonna build the kind of world I believe we should live in, and uh, you know, good luck to you um, building a something that can never exist or never work. So anyway, goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm not leaving yet. Um, anyway, the socialites, like I appreciate that many people who are in that sort of privileged position do get to the point where they are so removed from normal society, so removed from the normal life of humanity that they are empty shells of people and they are almost degenerate in their wealth and in their opulence and it's sad. Uh, however, I acknowledge the fact that sometimes the poor people are degenerate in the way they operate because it's a way to cope with uh, the world that they live in. And I'm not saying that the only right people are middle-class people, I guess, like me, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm lower middle-class, if not, I don't know, it's complicated. Um, but, uh, I do believe in the value of some hard work and in, uh, I believe mostly in the, the value of not harming other people and, uh, and, um, accountability and responsibility for your sphere of influence and for your sphere of control. You should do the best you can. You should, be moral, not hurt other people. But anyway, I do see, uh, like the positivity in showing the ugliness and, um, callousness of these socialite people. And like the niece character who gets threatened in the beginning at the party that nobody knows what it's actually for. Uh, she's a great counterpoint to that because while she is a socialite or at least related to socialite, she's not so far gone and not so disconnected that these things don't mean anything to her. Like she's a real person attached to the real world. Unlike these other people around. So anyway, kind of complicated, kind of funny. Like, why would I spend all this time talking about it? I just, you know, this is me. This is me. If you like it, great. And if you don't, sorry, don't listen anymore. Um, and then the hypnotized hero thing, that's just about Tom Turner getting hypnotized. And I think that's funny. Um, you know, technically I could have used that appellation for Kit when she was hypnotized by Nick Diablos, but, uh, I didn't, I didn't use it then. Um, I'm, uh, I'm following the, uh, Red Panda rule, Red Panda universe rule, and I'm trying to use alliteration as much as I possibly can, uh, to keep things fun and funky, uh, funky fresh, if you will, to use more alliteration. Oh, it's triple alliteration. Uh, but anyway, uh, 
that is pretty much all I have to say for this episode. Again, it was a lot of fun and I look forward to uh, talk, listening to and then talking about and sharing the next one with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, I go ahead and share those. And uh, that's all I have to say. So without further ado, I ask that you be well. This is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.